Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. episode i'm joined by peter pepper hey peter how you doing good so we're sitting here with a frost and freeze alert tonight for the area and it's mother's day weekend coming up and that's traditional planting time for a lot of people for their peppers and tomatoes uh, that's right um now the one thing we do have to be cautious about with peppers and tomatoes and eggplants all the members of the solanacea family is they can be a little cold sensitive so before you plant them make sure the weather is going to stay warm at night now if you keep them in your pots you can bring them in at night but put them out during the daylight hours uh, if they stay in all the time the plants may get leggy and not do as well when you do plant them yeah so hardening them off during the day putting them out maybe not in full sunshine sometimes sometimes i'll put them in kind of a protected part shade spot that way they don't get a sun scald in that hardening off process and as pots tend to dry out much faster check the moisture uh, every day and speaking of pots what do you think about peppers and tomatoes in containers so container grown I think it's a great idea for several reasons. One, it gets the plant off the ground. It can have some added protection from smaller critters, um, which is good. You can also control the soil environment much better and you don't have to bend down as much. So growing peppers and tomatoes and eggplants is a good idea. The thing about containers is make sure the container is big mm -hmm. don't try to grow any type of tomato or pepper in a coffee can <laughs> uh, such a small container will have tremendous temperature changes will dry out very fast and if in full sun will cook the plant so probably 18 inches diameter is that would a be a good minimum yes that would be good that'll give you a full soil um, it'll give the plant the ability to send roots down deep the soil will stay wetter and uh, there would be fewer temperature gradients or less of a temperature gradient I put most of my plants in pots now and because I have a deer problem I then put a cage around the whole hmm. pot um, you'd be amazed what will attack it though but I back up onto a park so I've got regular animal traffic passing through my property yeah and a lot of tempting good yummy plants in that garden <laughs> so um how about number of plants per container are you are you mixing like two or three peppers i have per... done that mm -hmm. sometimes for visual interest i might mix a yellow pepper a red pepper and an orange pepper mm -hmm. in one pot or i may put two of the same in one pot you don't want to overcrowd because then the plants will start competing with one another mm -hmm. and try to outrace one another and the fruit will not as be as good as uh, you would hope 
And let me just go back to pots. If you're trying to grow a very large tomato, like a beef steak or something like that, or brandy wine, you will need the biggest pot or plant the tomato in the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, they require a lot of support to get those big, beautiful tomatoes you see in the garden catalogs. And speaking of supports, you're putting in your support bracings or trellises or everything as you're planting. Yeah. Yes, what I do, I use actual um, concrete reinforcing wire. Mm -hmm. It's a heavy gauge and it's not easy to work with, but uh, they're very sturdy. Sometimes cages sold in stores are not sufficiently strong, especially with a tomato. Mm -hmm. And I make the cages big enough to encircle the whole pot. And even if the plant is put into the soil with the three inch diameter squares, the web, the weaves size of the cage, I can reach my hand in to service the plant mm -hmm. and pick the fruit. It also does provide some passive minimal deer protection because deer, if they touch something cold and hard, like a metal cage, mm -hmm. may often withdraw. Yeah, and they're always going, you know, proverbially for the easy pickings. <laughs> right, they will tear the foliage. It won't stop mm -hmm. a squirrel uh, from sampling the fruit, but you do what you can. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a non, it's not a poisonous thing. The rust off the metal cages will not harm anything. So let's go back and talk about how you got the name Peter Pepper. Well, my real name is a little hard for people to pronounce and remember for whatever reason. And uh, the sound of Peter Pepper sounds good. So I use that as my num de terre. <laughs> and so you've given talks at the now gone Banky Nurseries and to some local garden clubs and you're a long time yeah. member of the Silver Spring Garden Club. Yes, and I started planting peppers around 1992 and I subsequently expanded to tomatoes and eggplants and herbs like most other gardeners. And why peppers? Why is that your passion? Well, I had done for work a lot of travel through the southwest of the United States, and of course, hot chili peppers are a very prominent part of the cuisine and culture out there. Mm -hmm. And I just became interested with the plant, and of course, the colors of the fruit uh, are quite spectacular. You have reds, yellows, and oranges, plus now they have purples and whites mm -hmm. and some other colors. So it's an ornamental plant that you can eat. And as many of you have heard me say, if you can't eat it, I don't grow it. <laughs> so the ornamental peppers, my, one of my favorites is black pearl. It's just beautiful. And it's kind of misleading to say it's only ornamental because technically they are edible. All, you just wouldn't want to. <laughs> all peppers that we grow mm -hmm. are edible. Uh, the plant is not, but the fruit of the mm -hmm. plant are edible. Now an ornamental is now grown for its looks, not its culinary value. So it may be hard to predict whether the fruit will be hot or sweet, might be tough, may not have any flavor. Uh, so, but they are edible. And if you're in a pinch, you could throw a few in a stew or something like that mm -hmm. uh, and cook it. Uh, but mainly the ornamentals are grown for their looks. And you should pick the fruit off an ornamental to keep the plant producing throughout the season. Because once the plant produces a complete set of fruit, 
it sends a message to itself that the work is over and will start declining faster. But if you keep picking the fruit as soon as it's ripe, you'll keep uh, more of an ongoing show throughout the growing season. Yeah, it's a great uh, tip because even with the, some of the culinary peppers in your garden, you can have like say a Thai orange covered in peppers and be satisfied with that and then not think to pick them before they're ripe. Yes, the edibles are meant to be picked, so eat, pick them and eat them and enjoy them. So with the sweet peppers, if they start off green, some will go to yellow, to orange, to red. At what stage do you pick them for the sweet kind? Well, the best uh, with any kind of pepper is when it's got its full color. Okay. That is at the point where the plant has withdrawn the chlorophyll out of the fruit. That gives its grassy or raw flavor and produced carotene, which produces the reds, yellows, and oranges that we enjoy so much. So the plant, even on a hot pepper, will produce more sugar in the ripe fruit too. So a hot pepper is actually sweet and hot. The sweet pepper, because of the recessive gene, does not produce the capsaicin that makes the heat of a pepper. Interesting. So with all the peppers that you grow, and you grow several hundred a year usually, or how many do you do, on and off, do you find that they get some cross-pollination, that sometimes you're expecting a sweet and it's got a little sharpness to it, or vice versa? Well, if the pepper does cross, it does not show up in the first generation because ah. the fruit of the pepper is part of the mother plant. That's uh, placental material that we're eating. Oh. It's the seeds of that pepper that may produce a cross-pollinated plant the next generation. So the plant itself and its fruit does not change no more than any other animal or plant <laughs> changes once it's impregnated or fertilized. Okay. So you won't have to worry about a hot pepper crossing with a sweet pepper and getting a hot pepper in that first generation. But only for your seed saving. If you're seed saving, yeah. yes, then you should separate your plants and practice other seed collection techniques. And do you save seeds from your peppers? Yes, I do. Uh, the Thai orange, uh, I don't even remember where I found the seeds, but I liked it because it's a small spiky pepper that's hot and very pretty with its bright orange color. But I've noticed over the past, say, five years, because I've favored picking larger fruit, mm -hmm. I have favored the larger fruit varieties <laughs> and what started out as maybe an inch long fruit or so, inch and a half, is now sometimes two to almost three inches. Mm -hmm. So even within a few years, I have selectively bred a new variety of the pepper. And that's a, that's a great tip for the home gardener is you can actually start picking for flavor, for color, for length, for size, and for prolific plants. Right, within limits, mm -hmm. uh, usually or often plants will actually start to degenerate if you don't mm -hmm. control it and it may be better just to go to your local garden club or nursery and buy a professionally produced plant. All right, so let's talk about some of your favorite peppers to grow. Um, the Shishido Hybrid. Well, that's a, a new uh, pepper of the year plant mm -hmm. that seems to be the rage in the restaurants. Mm -hmm. We've only been growing that for a year or two. Um, I favor, um, I favor uh, banana type peppers, that mm -hmm. shape. Uh, the large bell peppers, which everybody likes, are a little difficult 
little more difficult to grow because the length of time required uh, to produce that big beautiful fruit and with all the potential dangers out there from diseases or fungus or birds or squirrels you sometimes lose the fruit before mm -hmm. you get it to full ripeness uh, so a slightly smaller pepper elongated um, I find is a little easier to grow the smaller the pepper the easier to grow in, in, in certain ways mm -hmm. uh, the banana type peppers not the thin early types but the later types like um, Carmen and New Mex and there's a bunch of others they have a thicker flesh they take longer but you'll get more sugar and more flavor So, um, what are some of your favorite sweets? And then we'll talk about the hots. Well, like I said, the Italian frying peppers, which you might read the descriptions mm -hmm. in the seed catalogs. Um, they're not sold as much in stores also. Sometimes it's easier, unfortunately, to buy a bell pepper in the store uh, than it is to grow it. So I grow, and we also provide in the garden club here, uh, some of the more unusual ones with little different shapes or colors mm -hmm. or, or flavors, uh, but any of them are good. They all roast up uh, very well. Another pepper I do like though is the sweet cherry peppers. They're about the size of a golf ball. Mm. The plants are quite prolific. You cut them off at the stem, you can throw handfuls in the roasting pan if you roast up a chicken and you just eat the fruit right off the stem. Just wow. take the whole thing into your mouth. Um, and that's the cherry pick? Yeah, sweet cherry pick. Not hot, like there's a hot cherry bomb. These are sweet cherry peppers. Interesting. And they're a beautiful red color and very, uh, very productive. Nice. So, um, on the hot side... Well, we... <laughs> some peppers can be very hot, and I don't approve or appreciate people trying to grow the hottest peppers in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no point in that. In fact, they can be dangerous because even though there's no physical damage, if you come in contact with the capsaicin, people have been hospitalized because of the extreme pain and the body reactions yeah. to these chemicals. So there's no reason whatsoever to try to grow the hottest peppers in the world. They're <laughs> of no culinary value and they can only cause trouble. So that's why in the last several years, we've grown a sweet habanero does mm -hmm. have some heat, but the habaneros and scotch bonnets and a few other related peppers have a wonderful perfumed smell when you crack them open. So we grow those uh, to get a little bit of heat, a lot of fragrance and sweetness. And this year we now have a red habanero that's sweet, something new, so I'm hoping that works out well too. Nice. So there's an heirloom to the mid-Atlantic area, the fish pepper. Yes, that's I don't think we have it this year because we have to change our varieties a little bit, but the sometimes called the Baltimore fish pepper or the Chesapeake Bay fish paper, pepper was developed in this area. Uh, it is a unique pepper. Sometimes they start out white. Uh, sometimes they have stripes. The color can be an orange to a muddy red or muddy brown and ultimately to a brighter red or orange. Um, the white peppers were used in cream sauces and fish stews in the Chesapeake area. So you would have a white pepper to match your cream sauce. And then as the plant developed, uh, you had a red and orange pepper, which you could use 
in other uh, dishes. So that's a pepper we like because it's traditional to the area. If you're going growing an historic garden, that would certainly be an appropriate pepper to grow. Uh, and it's a very colorful plant and interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. Like that's why I like to grow peppers. And I would say that it's also has mottled foliage, so it makes it really oh, yes. pretty. It has like nice white modeling to the foliage. So even if you're not interested in growing it for culinary purposes at all, I would say that's one of the top peppers to grow just to have in a mixed container, say with some annual flowers as well. I would like to talk about, uh, emphasize again, not to plant your peppers or tomatoes or eggplants too early. Mm -hmm. Generally, not before the 15th of May, so if you do buy them a little early, just keep them inside, mm -hmm. as I said before, at night. Uh, if you've planted them late, even June, they will all catch up. Mm -hmm. uh, these plants are almost semi-weed from what the original plant was, and uh, they will kick into high gear with uh, proper maintenance, a little organic fertilizer, and sufficient sunlight. Mm -hmm. And a real key actually is the soil temperature rather than the air temperature. I mean, you don't want to expose it to too cold of air temperature, of course, but it's that the roots won't expand into the soil if the soils are too cold. Yes, uh, I've planted potatoes, a related plant, way too early and they laid dormant, believe it or not, for 30 days mm -hmm. and then started going. But the longer you leave a dormant plant in the ground, uh, the greater the chance that something will attack it because mm -hmm. it can't fight back. So if in doubt, just hold off uh, planting your plants. Uh, and after you do plant them, don't let them completely dry out and give them time. Sometimes you put a plant in and it just seems to sit there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's developing its roots before it grows up top. It's got to develop its roots first. Mm -hmm. Pepper plants are even slower than tomatoes, so give it time but eventually they will catch and provide you with a summer harvest. And so you mentioned, you mentioned fertilization, and what do you use to fertilize your peppers? <clears throat> well, organic material, I sometimes take the muck out of the bottom of my fish pond, <laughs> put that right on the yeah. uh, plants, even if I don't have fish now. That would be very apropos for the fish pepper. That's right. <laughs> uh, I use, um, without mentioning any names, organic fertilizers. Avoid chemical fertilizers. They're injurious to the soil. Mm -hmm. I use a low nitrogen fertilizer, much less chance of burning the plant. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you go to your local nursery, uh, look for organic fertilizer. For the quantities you're using and for the time you're investing, it's worth spending a little extra money. Mm -hmm. Don't use cheap lawn fertilizers. Yep. And what about um, sun? So there's a lot of people who are in patio gardens or balconies. So Full sun, obviously ideal, but could you, you know, get away with part sun for your peppers? Perhaps. Uh, the bigger the pepper, the more sun you need, but even mm -hmm. the smallest pepper needs six hours of sun. And in a mature area like lower Montgomery County, we have a lot of big trees mm -hmm. making a lot of shade, which certainly enhancing the value of your property and the neighborhood, but is not conducive to gardening. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not worth chopping down big trees for a few dollars worth of peppers. So you're going to have to scout out the sunnier spots of your yard. 
And that's probably one of the big uh, failings of home gardening is that vegetable producing plants just need full sun. Mm -hmm. We're really pushing those plants to max out within the growing season. So they need a lot of sun to perform. Mm -hmm. uh, peppers and tomatoes and any fruit bearing plant with some exceptions perhaps, will not produce good fruit in a shady area. Well, they're literally solar energy producers. They're literally turning the sun solar energy into those fruits. So if you think about it that way, and you definitely need to put it where you would put a solar panel, and that would be not under the eaves of your house <laughs> or on a covered porch. So as much sun as you can possibly get them. And what about um, mulching or the soil you use? Any special mix? Oh, I use a variety of things that I find around the yard, including what they say don't use, dirt out of your yard <laughs> or a woods behind me actually. But I mix some of that for the clay, which has minerals, mm -hmm. uh, some perlite or vermiculite, whatever it happens to be called, a little bit of peat moss, a little bit of garden soil. Um, I mix that up very well. You want it well drained. Pots tend to be well drained, but you want that soil to drain. Uh, for tomatoes and peppers, I might throw in a pinch of saltpeter and even uh, some ground up granite, which provides huh. minerals. Interesting. Uh, it's sold like in southern states as um, chicken uh, stones for chicken chicken grit. Chicken grit. Yes. Ah, yeah, that's, that's excellent. It. I throw a couple of handfuls in. I don't know how good it does. The minerals will leach out of it over the next 500 years or so, mm -hmm. but it makes me feel good that I'm doing something. And I might even add a little few ground up seashells, which is also sold in some uh, hardware stores as a, a chicken grit or a turkey grit. So you get a little bit of lime. That lime chips will also be good for uh, your Mediterranean herbs, by the way. So I mix that all together thoroughly put the plant in, and then my favorite mulch is pine straw. Yeah. Uh, you can buy bales of it at your local nursery. Uh, various sizes, the smaller the pot, the smaller the needle size, but mm -hmm. um, it's sometimes hard to get around here. But I mulch with pine straw because it does not mat down like others, mm -hmm. and it will carry over to the next year before it breaks down breaks down into mm -hmm. the soil and it doesn't uh, it allows light and air and water to get into the plant the soil around the plant without smothering it and it looks good yeah and to be clear to the listeners we're talking about pine straw versus pine bark mulch or, or chopped oh yeah don't bark. use yes. pine bark mulch it, it, that's not a useful yeah. thing i sometimes used to look around for pine trees and just gather up the uh um straw from around the trees. I used to stop at a gas station mm -hmm. that had a whole grove of trees. I know they weren't putting any herbicides down <laughs> at a gas station. No. And I used to get a bag full of uh, pine straw mulch for free and then use that in my potted plants. And that's basically the shed needles that they drop usually, most pine trees drop about a third of their needles every fall. And that's, that's garden gold. Yeah. Um, it's the leaf of the pine tree mm -hmm. and uh, works good in your garden as well. Yep, that's excellent. But a thin mulch layer of anything will be good. Mm -hmm. You want to help keep down the weeds, help keep uh, evaporation down. And it's a great thing also to top dress your containers with that as well because um, it helps hold in some of the moisture. Oh yes, that's that what I use for my containers is yep. the pine straw. That's great. 
All right. So any last uh, pepper tips for our listeners out there? Like I said, I summarized, don't plant too early. Be mm-hmm. patient. Don't over-fertilize. Make sure the pots particularly do not dry out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and containers will dry out very fast. Uh, don't use too small a pot. Tend to go for fewer but larger pots. And enjoy the harvest. Some pepper plants will go almost right up to frost. They may be a little scraggly at the mm-hmm. end, but you can pick peppers all the way through. Oh yeah, don't forget to pick the fruit as the season goes on to keep the plant producing. Trick it into thinking it hasn't finished its mm-hmm. job yet. And have you? it can be wintered over as a house plant on a sunny windowsill. I believe that is possible. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's not worth the trouble, but mm-hmm. people have done it. Yep. Um, these plants, most of them that we grow, have tended to become annuals, even though in the wild in South America they can become perennials. But we've modified the plants enough that after they've produced a crop of fruit, they've kind of they're kind of done with. Mm-hmm. And the better practice and the easier practice is just go to your local nursery next year and buy a fresh new professionally produced plant mm-hmm. or collect the seed and start your own or start your yep. own. all right well thank you so much peter um we're definitely going to be looking forward to this summer's warmth uh both in our garden and on our plate <laughs> and uh, so Peter was referencing the Silver Spring Garden Club Garden Mart sale. Um, and if you're interested in checking out and buying some of the peppers that have been produced for that Garden Club sale, go to silverspringgardenclub.com. Um, they're also on Facebook at Silver Spring Garden Club. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Plant Profile, Fragrant Witch Alder, Fothergila Species In early spring, the flower puffs on Fothergila appear at the end of the branches. They look like soft little bottle brushes. The flowers have a honey-like fragrance and attract native bees and moss. Following the flowers, the shrubs leaf out and the rest of the appeal of this plant soon becomes clear. The foliage is fuzzy and often has a bluish cast in spring. In the autumn, the foliage practically glows with seasonal colors. The tag may say full sun, but partial shade will do. Also, in our region's hot summers, some shelter from the afternoon sun is best. During the first year, it will need consistent watering while its roots establish themselves. After that, it should be fairly drought tolerant. Father Gila prefers acidic, moist, but not wet soils. If yellow leaves appear, that may possibly indicate alkaline conditions, which are not favored by Fothergila species. Soil amendments appropriate for azalea and rhododendron work for Fothergila as well. Apply them in early spring. There is no need for pruning. 
Let it grow and assume its natural form. Remove only broken, dead, or crossing branches. It is fairly slow growing, but will sucker and colonize over time. If you have the space, let it. This small shrub looks best in groupings of three or five and paired with other woodland native plants like dogwood, itea, and sweet pepper bush. You will find that the Father Gila Mount Airy, Dwarf or Coastal Father Gila, and Father Gila Blue Shadow do the best in our region and are fairly commonly available at your local independent garden center. See the Washington Gardener Magazine April 2017 cover story for much more about this fascinating plant. Try planting a Father Gila in your garden today. You can grow that. A visit to Rachel Carson's home. On May 27, 2017, the occasion of what would have been Rachel Carson's 110th birthday, a group of members of the Maryland Native Plant Society and their guests toured the Rachel Carson House and Rachel Carson Greenway in the White Oak section of Silver Spring, Maryland. This was a home where Carson wrote Silent Spring and spent her final years. After decades of renting homes in the Tacoma Park Silver Spring area during her tenure with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, she bought this modest writer's property in a spot near the Northwest Branch Stream Valley Park. Built to her specifications, the small residence was laid out to let in maximum light, although now the trees have grown and shaded it in. Placed in rooms throughout the home now are displays of Carson's accomplishments and photos of her. The home is not occupied currently and is only open to the public on special occasions. Dr. Diana Post and Clifford Hall of the Rachel Carson Landmark Alliance own the property and take the Carson legacy seriously. They led the group around the home, pointing out what had changed over the years and what was original to Carson's time. I was pleased to see a few bookshelves with the volumes she most used for reference and also the vintage typewriter and dictation machine in her office. There was also a lovely fireplace, which must have made winter days quite cozy and enjoyable there. After the home tour, we briefly walked around the home's landscape as a soft rain fell on us. Michael Ellis, a wildlife biologist, then led the group to the nearby stream valley that inspired so much of Carson's late writings. This part of the Northwest Branch Park was also a favorite of President Theodore Roosevelt, who regularly rode up on horseback to escape the city heat. It is easy to see why both Carson and Roosevelt and many other naturalists fall in love with this location. It is right at the fall line between the coastal plain and Piedmont geographic regions. The walking path is fairly easygoing, even in this rocky terrain. Around a bend not too far into the park is a steep hillside overlooking an idyllic section of the Northwest Branch stream. It's covered in mountain laurel. Our group timed it just right as the tall shrub was in full bloom and below them, a little box turtle came to join us on the path. When you
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before I share what's blooming in my garden this week, I wanted to give a big thank you to Leah Rood, our latest listener supporter. Thanks, Leah. So in my garden this week, despite the freezes and frosts that we've had in the area, I have several different Wygela in bloom. Some have dark foliage, some have bright green, some are white blooms, most are in the pink to dark pink range, and a few are dark reds as well. So I actually have to confess that I went online for the pronunciation for Wygela and watched a YouTube video from Proven Winners Shrubs, and the consensus was Wygela, um, not Wygelia, and of course the original German pronunciation would be Wygelia. So I also wanted to share that I have several alliums either currently in bloom or about to be in bloom. My favorite is Globemaster, and if you're familiar with that allium, you know it looks like a big drumstick. Um, This huge purple puff on the end kind of has a Dr. Seussian look to it. It's always fun to show children. It's a great one for drying, and I have no problem with people who spray paint them and put them right back out into the garden. Um, They're a great focal point and little exclamation point to many beds. Finally in my garden, clematis. So the clematis vine, or clematis, however you want to pronounce that one, um, is just starting in bloom. My silver moon is covered. I have not seen this many blooms on that vine since I've gotten it 10 years ago. I have a few other clematis that are just starting um, and I am awaiting Jackmanai, which should be in the next week or two, full of blooms as well. So over at my community garden plot, uh, things have slowed down a bit, I think just because of the constant rainy days and overcast and cool temps. So the strawberries are kind of just sitting there. Um, the asparagus, again, producing a little bit, but not too much. Uh, lettuce is doing well, and so are the spinaches. Kale is eking along there, um, but I am not yet going to plant out, of course, my tomatoes, my peppers, or anything until we get that um, soil warmed up a bit. And my radishes are doing very well, so I probably need to start another batch and maybe even can get those in before summer's heat sets in. So what are you harvesting in your garden and what's blooming for you Be sure to share with me pictures on my social media at WDC Gardener, at our Facebook page, Washington Gardener Magazine. And uh, you can also join me on Facebook at a discussion group called DC Gardeners. It's a really fun group to be part of. There's several hundred local area gardeners on that. And every Friday we start a thread called Flower Friday and Anybody in the area is welcome to post photos of the flowers that they have in bloom in their garden that day.
Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash kathy-gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener magazine. You can find Washington Gardener online at washingtongardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.